Chapter 15 of the Story of Fab. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nivedita Nayan. The Story of Ab by Stanley Waterloo. Chapter 15 The Mammoth at Bay. It was late autumn and a light snow covered the ground when one day a caveman, panting for breath, came running down the river bank and paused at the cave of one year. He had news, great news. He told his story hurriedly and then was taken into the cave and given meat, while Ab, seizing his weapons, fled downward further still toward the great kitchen midden of the Shell people. Just as ages and ages later, not far from the same region, some Scottish runner carried the fiery cross. Ab ran exultingly with the news it was his to bring. There must be an immediate gathering, not only of the cavemen, but of the shell people as well, and a great mutual effort for great gain. The mammoths were near the point of the upland. The run to the cave one year was a hunter living some miles to the north, upon a ledge of a broad forest-covered plateau, terminating on the west in a slope which ended in a precipice, with more than a hundred feet of sheer descent to the valley below. On rare occasions, a herd of mammoths invaded the forest and worked itself towards the apex of the plateau, and then word went all over the region, for it was an event in the history of the cavemen. If but a sufficient force could be suddenly assembled, food in abundance, for all was almost certainly assured, the prize was something stupendous, but prompt action was required and there might be tragedies. As bees hum and gather when their hive is disturbed, so did the shell people when Ab burst in upon them and delivered his message. There was a rushing about and a gathering of weapons and sorting out of men who should go upon the expedition. But little time was wasted. Within half an hour, Ab was training back again up the river towards his own abode, while behind him trailed half a hundred of the shell people, armed in a way efficient enough, but which, in the estimation of the cavemen, was preposterous. The spears of the shell people had shafts of different wood and heads of different material from those of the cavemen, and they used their weapons in a different manner. Accustomed to the spearing of fish, or of an occasional water beast, like a small hippopotamus, which still existed in the rivers of the peninsula, they always threw their spears, though the cave people were experts with this as well, and as a last resource in close conflict they used no stone axe or mace but simply ran away to throw again from a distance or to fly again as conditions made advisable but they were brave in a way it was necessary that all who would live must have a certain animal bravery in those days and their numbers made them essential in the rare hunting of the mammoth when the company reached the home of ab they found already assembled there a corps of the hail men, and as the word had gone out in every direction, it was found, when the rendezvous was reached, which was the cave of Hilltop, the man living near the crest of the plateau, and the one who had made the first run down the river, that there were more than a hundred, counting all together, to advance against the herd, and, if possible, drive the great beast towards the precipice. Among this hundred, there was none more delighted than Ab and Oak, for, of course, these two had found each other in the group. 
and were almost like braced dogs whining for the danger and the hunt not lightly was an expedition against a herd of mammoths to be begun even by a hundred well-armed people of the time of the cavemen the mammoth was a monster beast with perhaps somewhat less of sagaciousness than the modern elephant but with a temper which was demoniacal when aroused and with a strength which nothing could resist he could be slain only by strategy hence the everlasting watch over the triangular plateau and the gathering of the cave and river people to catch him at a disadvantage but even with a drove feeding near the slope which led to the precipice the cavemen would have been helpless without the introduction of other elements than their weapons and their clamour the mammoth paid no more attention to the caveman with a spear than to one of the little wild horses which fed near him at times the pygmy did not alarm him but did the pygmy ever venture upon an attack then it was likely to be seized by the huge trunk and flung against rock or tree to fall crushed and mangled or else it was trodden viciously underfoot from one thing though the mammoth huge as he was would flee in terror he could not face the element of fire and this the cavemen had learned to their advantage they could drive the mammoth when they dare not venture to attack him and herein lay their advantage under direction of the veteran hunter hilltop who had discovered the whereabouts of the drove preparations were made for the dangerous advance and the first thing done with the breaking off of dry roots of the overturned pitch pines and gathering of knots of the same trees with limbs attached to serve as handles these roots and knots once lighted would blaze for hours and made the most perfect of natural torches lengths of bark of certain other trees when bound together and lighted at one end burned almost as long and brightly as the roots and knots each man carried an unlighted torch of one kind or another, in addition to his weapons, and when this provision was made, the band was stretched out in a long line, and a silent advance began through the forest. The herd of mammoths was composed of nineteen, led by a monster, even of his kind, and men who had been watching them all night and during the forenoon said, that the herd was feeding very near the edge of the wood where it ended on the slope leading to the precipice there was ice upon the slope and there were chances of a great day's hunting to cut off the mammoths that is to extend a line across the uprising peninsula where they were feeding would require a line of not more than about five hundred yards in length and as there were more than a hundred of the hunters the line which could be formed would be most effective lighted punk which preserved fire and gave forth no odour to speak of was carried by a number of the men and the advance began it had been an exhilarating scene when the cavemen and shell people first assembled and when the work of gathering material for the torches was in progress so far was the gathering from the present haunt of the game that caution had been unnecessary, and there was talk and laughter and all the open enjoyment of an anticipated conquest. 
the light snow barely covering the ground flashed in the sun and the hunters practically impervious to the slight cold were almost prankish in their demeanour ab and oak especially were buoyant this was the first hunt upon the rocky peninsula of either of them and they were delighted with the new surroundings and eager for the fray to come all about was talk and laughter which became general with any slight physical disaster which came to one among the hunters in the climbing of some tree for a promising dead branch or finding a treacherous hollow when assailing the roots of some upturned pine it was a brisk scene and a lively one that which occurred that crisp morning in late autumn when the wild men gathered to hunt the mam all was brightness and jollity and noise very different in a moment was the condition when the hunters entered the forest and extended in line began their advance toward the huge objects of their search the caveman almost a wild beast himself in some of his ways had on occasion a footfall as light as that of any animal of the time the twigs scarcely crackled and the leaf scarcely rustled beneath his tread and when the long line entered the wood the silence of death fell there for the hunters made no sound and what slight sound the woodland had before the clatter of the woodpeckers the jays was hushed by their advance so through the forest which was tolerably close the dark line swept quietly forward until there came from somewhere a sudden signal and with a still more cautious advance and contraction of the line as the peninsula narrowed the quarry was brought in sight of all close to the edge of the slope and separated by a slight open space from the forest proper was an evergreen grove in which the herd of monster beasts was feeding a great bull with longer curling tusks loomed above them all and was farthest away in the grove hunters hidden in the forest lay voiceless and motionless until the elders decided upon a plan of attack and then the word was passed along that each man must fire his torch all along the edge of the wood arose the flashing of little flames these grew in magnitude until a line of fire ran clear across the wood and the mammoths nearest raised their trunks and showed signs of uneasiness then came a signal a wild shout and at once with a yell the long line burst into the open each man waving his flaming torch and rushing toward the grove there was a chance a slight one that the whole herd might be stampeded but this had rarely happened within the memory of the oldest hunter the mammoth though subject to panic did not lack intelligence and when in a group was conscious of its strength as that yell ascended startled beasts first rushed deeper into the grove and then as the slope beyond was revealed to them turned and charged blindly all save one the great tusker who was feeding at the grove's outer verge they came on great mountains of flesh but severed as they met the advancing line of fire and weaved aimlessly up and down for a moment or two 
Then a huge bull, stung by a spear, hurled by one of the hunters, and frantic with fear, plunged forward across the line, and the others followed blindly. Three men were crushed to death in their passage, and all the mammoths were gone save the big bull, who had started to rejoin his herd, but had not reached it in time. He was now raging up and down in the grove, bewildered and trumpeting angrily. Immediately the hunters gathered closer together and made their line of fire continuous. The mammoth rushed out clear of the trees and stood looming up, a magnificent creature of unrivaled size and majesty. His huge tusks shone out whitely against the mountain of dark shaggy hair. His small eyes blazed viciously as he raised his trunk and trumpeted out what seemed either a hoarse call to his herd or a roar of agony or restraint. He seemed for a moment as if about to rush upon the dense line of his tormentors, but the flaming faggots dashed almost in his face, but the reckless and excited hunters daunted him, and as a spear lodged in his trunk, he turned with almost a shriek of pain and dashed into the grove again. Close at his heels bounded the hundred men, yelling like demons and forgetting all danger in the madness of the chase. Right through the grove the great beast crashed and then half turned as he came to the open slope beyond. Running beside him was a daring youth trying in vain to pierce him in the belly with his flint-headed spear and as the mammoth came for a moment to a half-halt, his keen eyes noted the pygmy. His great trunk shot downward and backward, picked up the man, and hurled him yards away against the base of a tree, the body as it struck being crushed out of all semblance to man and dropping to the earth, a shapeless lump. But the fire behind and about the desperate mammoth seemed all one flame now. Countless spears thrown with all the force of strong arms were piercing his tough hide, and out upon the slope toward the precipice the great beast plunged. Upon his very flanks was the fire, and about him all the stinging dangers from the half-crazed hunters. He lunged forward, slipped upon the smooth glacial floor beneath him tried to turn again to meet his thronging foes and face the ring of flame, and then, wavering, floundering, moving wonderfully for a creature of his vast size. But uncertain as to foothold, he was driven to the very crest of the ledge, and scrambling vainly, carrying away an avalanche of ice, snow, and shrubs, went crashing to his death a hundred feet below. End of chapter 15